0: Welcome, here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Welcome Bridge Church, give it up for this worship squad. My goodness. Yo, they make it easy for me to get up here (laughs) and just um, bring you guys God's word today. how y'all doing, British Church? <laughs> cool, well, my name is Omar Fernandez. For those of you who don't know me, I came on staff here uh, last August. Uh, my family and I moved up from Maryland. I'm born and raised in the Bronx. And let me just say, <laughs> let me just say, and my wife Nancy's from East New York, Brooklyn, praise God. Uh, but let me just say, yo, two people from the Bronx has gr- have graced this pulpit uh, the past two weeks. So God is doing something. God is moving among us in multiple ways, you know what I'm saying? Uh, But thank you so much Bridge Church. You guys have been a blessing to our family. We feel very loved by you. I just wanted to make sure that I said that. Uh, You guys welcomed us from day one. Even before day one, when we were just visiting, praying about coming back home to serve God in this capacity and join Bridge on staff. Uh, You guys have been loving on us since even before then. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Shout out to our leaders. Thank you so much James and, and Josh and all the crew for giving me this opportunity to bring you God's word, it is my pleasure, it is my pleasure. Because every time that I'm up here, uh, it's an opportunity really for us together to just be in awe of God, amen? Amen. So that's exactly what my purpose is here today, just kind of to move out of God's way so that we can just be in awe of Him and His word. I love our series, uh, Mission and Me, uh, especially as we've been moving uh, towards our move to Flatbush in the fall, praise God, keep praying for that. Obviously, things are gonna come against this whole move, but we really know that the Lord is behind it, so keep praying, Saints, for us to find a location for us to go to and be able to worship the Lord and be a neighborhood church in Flatbush. Y'all hype about that? I'm hype about that. I think I, I'm so excited. It's gonna be a whole new dynamic in how we serve our community. We're gonna be there, so when somebody asks you like, yo, where are you, you going to church? You're gonna be like, right there. You know, it's just gonna be so much more powerful. Um, I'm just ready for it. And I just love how God has been setting us up through the pastors that have been preaching for the past month and a half. It's crazy because since uh, I got this assignment to preach today, uh, I felt like God dropped something on me. Like, okay, cool. Like, I know what to preach on. But God has been kind of like overlapping with every preacher since. That since I got the assignment. So when Rasul was up here, when uh, Rich Bowman was up here, uh, when uh, Rich Rivera was here last week, and I'll talk, to, talk about that in a second, even uh, Steve Cantor's message on Father's Day, powerful. Uh, I feel like there's, there's so much overlap going on, but what God dropped on my, my spirit to give you guys today uh, really just comes from a, a fresh and a different angle. So it overlaps, but it reinforces at the same time. It's just really cool how God's been setting this up, uh, setting the whole thing up. Up, and he's up to something, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's moving us, he's putting us on mission, and we have something big coming up this fall that I think he's just preparing our hearts for, and so uh, I'm gonna talk about um, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, who was the ultimate missionary, right? There's so much that we can imitate from our Lord as far as mission goes. He gave us the great commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey the things that Christ commanded. And he's asked us to join in that mission. It's his mission. It's his mission. And he's asked us to join in. And I think that's a great Privilege, and there's a lot to learn about Jesus, the ultimate missionary, and uh, how he interacts with people, and how generous he is with his presence. We're gonna talk about transformative presence today. Transformative presence. And even last week, my, my dude, Rich Rivera, gave y'all a preview when he talked about believing in the power of presence of a church in a given community. The power of presence of a church in a given community. There's a lot of power in presence, right? Especially when you talk about relationships. In our culture, we always talk about spending quality time with each other, with friends and with family, right? If somebody is in the room with you and you wanna spend time with that person, but they're like this on their cell phone, like, you know, responding to comments on Facebook, Instagram, or they're taking selfies, or they're taking calls. You don't really feel as valued, do you? Right? You you say that they're present with you, but they're not present. There's power in that. There's nothing like being there with an individual for you to express yourself to them. Like, when my mom and I FaceTime, I can talk to my mother, and I can pass her around to the little grandkids, and it's a fun time, and, and time well spent. But there's nothing like when I pull up in that driveway, though, and the kids explode out of the car, and I feel a sense of relief because, thank God, we can give them over to Grandma. <laughs> but she, you know, she gets to experience the hugs, the kisses, and, and we get to just be with each other and have late-night conversations and not be restricted by all these ways of communications, because they're good, you know, we have like, uh, all these um, applications on our phones, we have email, we have text. we have all these means of communication, but even in the business world, uh, before I came back home, uh, I worked for the Department of Defense for 12 years, and we would travel across the country for important meetings just to have a face-to-face meeting with somebody. I mean, those of you in the business world who, are, who have meetings and whatnot throughout your week, you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing that replaces you. You, you can express your body language, your tone. You can, like, you can give yourself to that other person on a whole new level, right? There's so much more that we can do. We give exponentially to people when we're in their presence. We have more ability to tear them down or build them up when we're in their presence. I want you guys to look at this verse with me right quick in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. I'll read it to you guys. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He's spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made all things in the universe through him. Jesus was the ultimate missionary, so generous with his presence. Whenever I see Jesus talk to an individual in the Bible, like my spidey senses go up, I'm like this, I'm like, oh, well, what's he gonna say though, and, and how did he respond to what they said, and, and how did he think about this, what did he think about this person, how did they respond to him, what did they think about Jesus, like my mind is racing, I'm, I'm taking down notes, it's so amazing to me that God has spoken to us in these last days by his son. So whenever I see Christ interacting with a human being, He's speaking through us, he's trying to show us something, he's trying to communicate with us, who he is, his character, his nature. It's amazing and incredible to me. This story in Luke chapter 19, which is our main verse, you can turn there if you want, uh, in, your, in your Bibles or in your apps, it's amazing to me what I see here in Luke chapter 19, verses one through 10. He's interacting with somebody that we're gonna talk about in a second. Um, And there's a lot to learn. There's so much to pick up on, not only as far as how God relates to us, but how we, in turn, relate to others. Let's read that real quick. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully, Zacchaeus did. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Mm. Powerful words, powerful words. So let's talk about Zacchaeus real quick. Zacchaeus, the Bible says, was a chief tax collector. He was an oppressor in the community. Tax collectors were people that were appointed by the new Roman rule who conquered that area, conquered the Jews in that area, and they were appointed to collect taxes from the Jewish community. It was Jewish people that were appointed to collect taxes from the Jewish community, but they were given almost unlimited power in doing that. So whatever else they collected, they were encouraged to collect and obviously give to Rome, but they were also told that they could collect whatever they wanted and pocket it for themselves. It's almost like you're making out your own salary. And oftentimes, as money does, and the love of money, it brings corruption, brings evil, and these tax collectors were known to steal from the community, to take too much to rob from them. From his very people, Zacchaeus was stealing regardless of household situations, regardless of the income that households were making, he would take his cut to fill his pockets. Not only that, so, so this, this man was despised in his community, but not only that, the Bible says that, that, so that's a regular tax collector what I just described. He was a chief tax collector. He had risen his way up the ranks, and as I was studying, I found out that chief tax collectors were also in charge of hiring other tax collectors. So he was an oppressor, and then was hiring other oppressors to come alongside of him and join him in the work of oppressing God's people, of oppressing the Jewish community. He was despised, so much so that in verse seven when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because I want to be at your house tonight, people were like, ah, we done lost Jesus. They're like, he's gone to, to, to dine with a sinful man. He's gone to be with a sinful man. So they recognized that Zacchaeus was sinful. That was his rep in the community. The second point that it makes about him was that he was rich. So he stole from people really well. He was good at it. And it's crazy because if you read God's word, Jesus talked about rich people and the likelihood of them entering into the kingdom of God. He said it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. Here we have a rich man, one of the people that Jesus was talking about. So he had a couple of things going against him. A third thing going against him is that he was short. Shout out to all my short people out there. I see you, cause I'm your height. (laughs) That's what I wanted to say about short. (laughs) The Bible also says that Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, so he, he, he worked up a little sweat. So he ran ahead, he climbed up a tree, he was like sticking his neck out, and like trying to see what the big fuss was all about. Who is this Jesus guy that everybody is paying attention to? Crowds were surrounding Jesus. Jericho was a major city at the time. Tons of people around him. He just wanted to get a glimpse. Okay, what is the, What is all the fuss about? And I love it because there's a parallel between this and how the world sees Christians at times. I think oftentimes people are stretching their necks to see what what the fuss is all about with us. I think oftentimes people might even walk through those doors and hang with us for a few weeks just to see how we would respond to them, just to see the love that we would show them, just to see how genuine we are, just to see if there is any level of authenticity here. Is there anything to this Christianity that still hasn't been dispelled over 2017 years? I mean, goodness, I mean, YouTube hasn't done it yet. No, we know God's word is true and kingdoms will rise and fall, but the word of God endures forever. But still, they're curious. They're curious about us. They want to see if there's real life in us, they want to see if there's realness in us. And I I just love that parallel between Zacchaeus and those folks outside of the body of Christ. They're looking, y'all. They're looking. Are we ready to receive them? How are we going to respond? So Jesus makes eye contact with Zacchaeus at one point in this passage. Now, I'm almost like in the minds of people surrounding Jesus in that moment. I'm like, oh, Jesus is gonna get him. Get him, him, Jesus. Yo, this dude has been oppressing us. You need to say something to him. And they watched Jesus rebuke the Sadducees, the Pharisees before on their hypocrisy but what Jesus, how Jesus responds to Zacchaeus is, is totally different than maybe what the average person expected in that moment. It's certainly different than what I would expect. Here he is, the Messiah, right? He's rolling through, they're cheering him on. He's coming to set us free. I would think that Jesus would say something like, hey man, cut it out, stop it, let my people go. Like something, like give him give the business, Jesus. You know the Bible actually in all the encounters that Christ has with tax collectors. It was always like merciful. It was never confrontational. Cause look at what Zacchaeus, Look at what Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus. He says, "Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because today." I must stay at your house. The first thing I wanna mention is that he knew Zacchaeus' name. God knows our name, y'all. He knows us intimately. He knows every hair on our heads. He knew Zacchaeus' name. He knew knew his business. He knew who Zacchaeus was. He knew his rep in in the neighborhood, in the community. He had intimate knowledge already of who Zacchaeus was. But instead of a rebuke, He says, hurry, come down. I want to spend time with you. Crazy. (laughs) Look at the two words that he uses here. He uses the words hurry and must to the worst dude on the block. Hurry, 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 come down. I must stay at your house tonight. I must spend time with you. I just find those two words incredibly powerful from our Lord. Remember, in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. Do you hear His Son speaking to you right now? Hurry, must? To the worst of sinners? A person despised? This man probably had never had anybody respectable stay over at his house for the longest, since he's probably been a tax collector. Who's the first respectable person to walk through his door? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amazing. Jesus was after him. Jesus wanted to spend time with him, the worst of individuals. This guy's conscience was all jacked up. He had been ignoring all kinds of things from his conscience, telling him that this is bad, that is bad. Ruining neighborhoods, communities, oppressing people. Jesus wants to spend time with them. I just think that's incredible and powerful. Like I said before, people had thought that Jesus had lost his way. But I want you guys to check out the the heart of God after sinners, after sinners. And I love it that when people thought that Jesus lost his way, they were like, Dag, like okay, I guess he's part of the, he's part of the clique now. Like he's, he's, he's in, the, in the gang. He's doing whatever Zacchaeus is doing. Like they, they almost associated it. Like, like Jesus, no, don't you know? Don't you know? Like don't go over there. You don't belong over there with Zacchaeus. He's a sinful man. They had no, there was no shame from them to tell Jesus that. To, to proclaim it in public. They, they didn't care. They were like, this is a sinful man, yet Christ in this situation was willing to put his reputation even on the line, on the line. He put his name at risk in the public's view to pursue a sinner, to pursue the worst of individuals. You know, some of us have testimonies that when we got saved, People were like, nah, nah, not, nah, nah, not so-and-so. Nah, there's no way, nah. Like, nah, he likes sleeping around too much, there's no way. Like, nah, she likes being in the club too much. Nah, there's no way. They might have even thought you were over here, but oh, oh, so you holy now? Oh, you holy now, okay, okay, Mr. Holy, Mr. Church, okay. Some of us experienced that, because there was no way that Jesus would put his name on us in their eyes. No, Jesus, you wouldn't associate with this low life, no. No, 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 never, never. But this is the heart of God on display here. He knew Zacchaeus' reputation uh, uh, in in the community and put his name at risk in order to pursue somebody that he wanted to call his son. More on that later. This was no coincidence that he went after the worst of the worst. I think I wanted to show us something. I think I wanted to show that there's nobody nobody who's irredeemable. That there's nobody who can't be pursued by God. No matter what the upbringing is, no matter what the tragedies are, no matter how jacked up you are, no matter how much no matter how long your list of sins are, there's nobody that God won't pursue. And I think that's something powerful that he he wanted to show us here in this passage. He deliberately, deliberately chose the worst of people in the community. So what happens to Zacchaeus? The Bible says that at one point in the conversation, they hanging out, he becomes something new. He becomes something radically different. Look in verse eight. It says, look, Lord. It says, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. The first thing that I want y'all to notice is that he let go of his idol. This man's idol was obviously money. He wanted to get rich. He stole from the people. He did it well. He had a little change in his pocket. That was his idol. The first thing that he does Gives half of it away. Forget this. I this is not this is not what I serve. This is not, I, I don't, I don't, this is, this doesn't hold the value that it did before. Before I met this man. Before I spent time with this man. This this doesn't have the value that it once did. Gives away half of it. And then look at the end of this sentence. He says, look. I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. In the beginning of this passage, it says that he was trying to see who Jesus was. Did he find out who Jesus was? He called him Lord. He he said, this is the Lord. This, I'm, I'm done, I can't do what I used to do. This is God. I have to drop what I'm doing and follow this man. He's he's my master. He's my leader now. I have to quit what I'm doing because this man is now my Lord. He called him Lord. There was transformation there. His affiliations changed. His God changed. He let go of one God to pursue the real God, the true God, and called him Lord. This man, this dude right here that I spent time with, He's my new master. He's my new leader. I'm going to follow this man. He is Lord. He's Lord of my life. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to follow in his ways, in his footsteps. Powerful. In the next verse, in the next, I'm sorry, in the same verse, in the next part, he says, and. If I extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay, I'll pay back four times as much. This is a cool Old Testament principle that if you stole something from somebody, you had to give back what you stole with a little something, something on top. So sometimes it's a fifth on top, like 20% extra. Sometimes it's four times as much. But this was evidence that God was now writing his laws on Zacchaeus' heart. He was a Jew, he knew Jewish law, and God awakened him to that, to the point where he was now willing to do it. All this stuff, I wanna point out, points to the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse four, in a section of it, it says that grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist when God makes all things new when the kingdom of God is here to rule and reign, and we don't have to worry about sin anymore, and God is, we're just gonna be God and his people worshiping him for the rest of eternity, the Bible says that he will make all things new, that grief, crying, sadness, he will, he will wipe away every tear. God's people should remind people of that, that there is a coming time where our Lord will rule everything. And there's gonna be no more sin in the new heavens and the new earth, we're all just gonna be in God's presence, enjoying for eternity. We should be giving people a foretaste of that. And I love it how Zacchaeus immediately goes into social justice mode. So he's giving to the poor who are experiencing grief and sorrow and crying in their poverty. He gives half of his possessions to the poor. He's already jumping in day one, minute one. He's jumping into social justice issues. So yes, Christians need to be involved in our communities with social justice issues. This is yet another example. Many, many examples of that in God's word. We should be reminding people of God's kingdom and his presence. He says, not only am I going to give back what I stole, I love this right here. He says, I'm going to give them four times as much on top of that. Now, he's saying basically, I'm not going to just stop what I'm doing. Because sometimes we see sin, like, like uh, becoming a follower of Christ is just stopping sin. But he was going to now take part in the restoration just like God's people should be doing, reminding people of the restoration and the renewal that God's gonna bring to the earth. He says, I'm going to join in the restoration process of all the wreckage, all the damage that I've done. I'm going to go back to those individuals. He says, "If and if I extorted anybody, so whoever he did extort, he's going to go back to them and give them four more. Can you imagine when this dude knocked on their door? Oh, no, like, like, no, Zacchaeus, shh, we're not, we're not here. Oh, he heard us, okay. Hey, how you doing, man? Like, Zacchaeus, oh, you want to do what? It's kind of like that lady at the well when Jesus changed her life. She, went, she, she just went and proclaimed them to everybody. Zacchaeus was ready to go, and the, to the very people that he hurt, he wanted to go and apologize in the biggest way possible. He wanted to proclaim Hey, look, I'm different now. I have a new Lord here. I am sorry for what I've done. Let me be a part of the reparation. Let me be part of the restoration process in your life. God's kingdom on display through God's people. We should do that out of a sense of gratitude. We should do that out of a sense of what God has saved us from. Listen, so many of us, struggle with our testimony, right? And we're like, ah, like my, my past is so dark. I'm ashamed, I'm full of guilt. But oftentimes, God will use you to minister to somebody who has a similar life background or testimony. And here, Zacchaeus, God used the very thing that he was sinning with, he was robbing people, he used the very thing, his wealth, to go and spread the word about his goodness and kindness. The very thing that he was idolizing, his money, God used that to tell other people about Christ. So when he went back to those people, he went back with issues of money. When he was stealing from them, when he was doing bad, when he was doing his dirt, it was issues of money. But God restored that and sent him back out to those very people. Oftentimes God will use the very things that you struggled with to then minister to somebody else. Once he restores and renews you, he will use you to res- bring restoration to, and renewal to somebody else who's struggling through the same thing. Something that is of note here, that is huge. There is no account of Jesus confronting this man on sin. There's no, the Bible doesn't record it, I'm not saying It didn't happen. I'm not saying that when people sin, that we shouldn't ever point it out. We can do that in love. But in this passage, where God is rescuing the worst dude, it never says that he confronted him about sin. This passage right here was more about God's pursuit of us and his presence than confrontation of sin. Then to bring shame or condemnation. It wasn't about any of that. The Bible says in John that we already stand condemned. We already know. Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, the Bible says in John chapter three, crazy. He came to bring life. He came to offer himself up so that we may have life, so that we may be in his presence. So crazy. But I love it though that despite the fact that Jesus didn't confront Zacchaeus on his sin, Zacchaeus knew exactly what to do. He knew exactly how to repent. Repentance is turning away from your own way and turning towards God's ways. He knew exactly how to be renewed. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do in order to love God, in order to worship God. His heart was exploding with worship. He knew exactly what God desired in his life, in Zacchaeus' own life. In order to express to God worship, in order to please God's heart, he knew what to do and he did it. He said yes to the Lord. After there was time spent in his presence, God captured this man's heart. And I love it that you know, true repentance should always be louder than the sin, amen? Because that's how you really show. Like, like When my kids, like when they're fighting, and I'm like, okay, well, apologize. Apologize to your sister. Sorry. Like, <laughs> it's so whack, it's so lame. And, and, and it, it, like if one of my kids hit another <laughs> and just said sorry and just stopped the hitting, that really wouldn't speak as much as if that, per, that child went over to the, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Here, let me, let me give you some ice. Let me give you. <laughs> Whatever kids get each other. <laughs> Let me give you a bandage for that cut. But you know, just showing care, going over the, over the top with it. Like showing like, oh man, I'm gonna be part of the restoration here. I'm not gonna just stop what I'm doing. I'm also gonna be part of the restoration. That is true repentance. So how did, how did Zacchaeus get to this point? How did he get to the, this point where he was something new? Remember, Jesus said, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus was in the presence of Christ. And it, didn't, it doesn't mention how long, but however long it was, it was enough. It was enough for, to, to transform him from head to toe. He was a different dude. This wasn't the same Zacchaeus. What was the difference? He spent time with him. And I love it that Christ is so, so generous with his presence. Christ was able to see, like as let, think about this, as God walking among us. He was able to see through Zacchaeus' sin and be able to tell him, "I want to be with you. I want to be with you." And it's so cool. Zacchaeus responds by coming down and it says he joyfully received them. He joyfully received them from the very start of the interaction, from the beginning. He, he's, full with, he's full of joy. He's like, this dude wants to hang out with me? And then once he got a taste of interacting with Jesus, something else happened, something completely transformational happened. When he was giving away his stuff and, being, and giving his money away to people that he stole from, just amazing. In the beginning, he was just trying to see who Jesus was, but then he found out that he was Lord. He basically went from like following Jesus on Twitter to like having dinner with him at Yayo's and then joining the known campaign. Like he went straight into social justice, straight into treating the poor. Like amazing, amazing transformation, all from being in the presence of Christ. And Christ says three basic things to to him and to us. Verse nine, it says, today salvation has come to this house. And no greater statement has ever been made. Salvation did walk up in there, Christ. Christ walked up in there. But he also had another meaning to that. He said, man, this, this man's sins have been, has been forgiven. He's, he's, he's saved now. He has believed on me. Salvation has entered into this house. What does that term save mean? Sometimes we just throw terms out there. What does that term mean? It means saved from the penalty of our sin. Zacchaeus was a person who was saved from the penalty of his sin and he responded in an amazingly worshipful way. Zacchaeus deserved death because of his sin. That is God's law. You break God's commandments. You deserve death. You are worthy of death. He has now dodged that bullet. Salvation salvation has come into this house now. He is saved now, proclaimed by Jesus. And he, it's funny, because he didn't even give a a chance to like, all right, Zacchaeus, well, let's wait a, a couple of weeks, you know what I'm saying, see if this is the real deal, I don't know. No, he said, salvation has come into this house. Zacchaeus believed, and he had the evidence. There was evidence in his life of a transformed heart. Jesus observed that, says, salvation has come up in this house. He was a forgiven man. And then look at the last part of verse nine. It says, because he too is a son of Abraham. That is a dope term. In Galatians chapter three, verse six and seven, this is what it says. It says, just as Abraham believed God, it was credited to him for righteousness. Then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Those who have faith in Christ are Abraham's sons. When Paul wrote this, it so relates to, just, to what Jesus spoke about Zacchaeus. This man is now a son of Abraham. This is a, a kid who has entered into God's covenant promise to his people. He has believed and God has credited to him his faith as righteousness. He he now has righteousness. He now can be in God's presence. He is now approved by God. Genuine faith that gave him the righteousness to be in God's presence. And look at the last thing that he says here. Verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Many scholars believe that this verse right here is the center of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is proclaiming loudly his mission. And think about like, the people observing him in that moment. Maybe people like, were like, maybe peeking in through the window like what is, what is Jesus doing with Zacchaeus? What is going on? Uh, what happened to Zacchaeus? Like, he's giving his money, what's, what's happening? Jesus says the point of all this that I'm trying to show you is that I came to seek and save you. I came to seek and to save you. Lost people, I came to seek and to save you. So strong, so powerful. Jesus proclaimed that he came to pursue and dine with sinners in order to save them. That is what he is to us. Put yourself in Zacchaeus's shoes. So I wanted to ask you guys this question. If God's posture towards us is pursuit of us, seeking and saving us, then why do we hide when we stumble? I wanted to get into this today because oftentimes God, I mean God, we know that God is calling us to to join in his work on the earth. The Bible says that we are his workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus. We know that, we know the great commission. We know that God is asking us to join in his work on the earth, but yet when we stumble, when we don't feel worthy, when we feel ashamed, when we feel guilt ridden because of our shortcomings, because of our sin, we, t- we have this tendency to hide. Or maybe it's just me, I mean, Maybe maybe y'all just like more holy than I am. We all have this tendency to hide from God and from His people, too. I'll just throw that on top of there. We have this tendency to shrink back from mission. And I believe that throughout this sermon series, God is doing something in our hearts, working, calling. Letting us know that he's in pursuit of our hearts, that he's in pursuit of us, as he's going to send us out into Flatbush to be a more intentional neighborhood church. He's preparing our hearts this summer for something big that he wants to do. Come fall, and already the, the, so much groundwork has been laid by those of you who live in Flatbush, and all the work that God, you know, obviously Rich Bowman and them have been doing. It's been so powerful what the Lord is doing, but he's calling us to another level. And as I read this scripture, as I prayed about what to preach on today, I really felt God wanting to encourage us today that his posture towards us is pursuit. So let's not hide so that we can come to him in his pursuit of us and be empowered to be on mission. You know, I, I love that Pastor uh, Rich Rivera last week said, God doesn't save us to sit, we're not saved to sit. He had that dope quote. Dudes from the Bronx just have a thing, you know? It's <laughs> a way with words. Um, but yeah, it's like, I, I think that God is wanting to prepare our hearts. Listen, if, in a, if an adoptive parent is trying to bring a child into their home, maybe through the, the, the system or foster care, and then want to permanently adopt that child. Once that child comes through those doors at the home, is the parent just kind of like over here like, all right, well whatever, do your thing, do you? And like has their back turned to the child? Or does the parent pursue the child's heart? That parent wants that child to feel valued. That parent wants that child to feel like they belong here. That parent is gonna do whatever they can to make that child feel loved, desired, cared for. It will go above and beyond because in that fragile state when a, a, an adopted child first comes into the home, there's so much damage that can be done, right? If you, if you mess up, if, you, if that child feels like they're not really welcomed in that house, the, the relationship is gonna go sour. But that's not, listen, that's not God's posture towards us. God's posture is pursuit value, I care about you, I want to hurry, I want to spend time with you, I want to be at your house tonight. That's God's posture towards us. He is like this, waiting for us to come, 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 so that the, the moment that we turn and turn to him, he's already there waiting to receive us. We just have to receive his open arms. We have to receive his invitation. He's constantly inviting us, drawing us in. It's like on Father's Day, we had breakfast in the morning, and Adai, my middle son, was sitting across the table from me, and I saw him just have this dejected look on his face, his body language was just kind of like, like he, he just felt discouraged. I don't exactly know what was going on with him, but as a father, my first response was invitation. I told him, I was like, come here, Bobby. Come come sit on my lap. Come sit on my lap. So he crawled onto the table. He sat on my lap. And in no time at all, his whole demeanor changed. He was smiling. He was giggling at little jokes that we were cracking at the table. His whole posture, his his whole state of mind changed because he was in my presence now. I invited him in. Same goes like, when babies are learning how to walk, right? Like, like when Ghazi, listen, I, I have four kids. It never gets old when a baby is learning how to walk. Right? When Ghazi was taking his first step, he was like, oh, snap, yo, get the camera, get the phone, let's shoot this, let's, let's shoot the video to grandma, we got to post this on every social media outlet out there, like, this is exciting, and then, like, he, he drops to his bottom, and he's like, oh, it's okay, like, but do, do, is that the response, or do I say, oh, like you, you, you are such a disappointment, yo, you, you wildin', oh, my goodness, I'm done with you. Like, is that how we respond when a baby's learning how to walk? So why do we think God is any different? Listen, the definition of fatherhood comes from God. It didn't start with us, it started with Him. We get our definition of what good fatherhood is and good parenting is from God, who's a father to us. So when a baby stumbles, we we, we run to the baby like, oh, it's okay. You know, sometimes my kids get cut, right? And it's like a little boo-boo that you can't even see. Like, it's like microscopic, but they're acting like, ah! like, 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 like somebody chopped their whole arm off. See, and is the good response as their father to be like, yo, get a grip, get a hold of yourself. Golly, oh, I'm, I'm, I can't even be. And sometimes I'm tempted to do that. Listen, there's four kids, there's four. Sometimes, yes, I'm flawed, in case y'all didn't know. And sometimes I am like, oh, but, Usually, the, and the right response is, no matter what that child is, is, is feeling, no matter how off or how crazy you think their response is, they're coming to the parent for care and comfort, right? So my response should be, they're coming to what they believe is a safe place. So my response should be, it's okay, it's okay, it's gonna be all right. And you know, we, we've done this all the time with kids. It's okay, it's gonna be all right. We console them, if they have, you know, you, sometimes you put the little fake, you know, okay, we'll get you a little Band-Aid, even though you can't even see where the cut is, you're like, all right, right here. <laughs> and like, where does it hurt, right there? Okay, and we comfort, and we nurture. That's our Father towards us. Listen, if Christ did this towards the worst of sinners in Zacchaeus, before he became a son of Abraham, How much more his actual adopted sons and daughters in Christ Jesus? How much more of a posture does he have of pursuit, of welcoming, of chasing? How much more, and yet, when we stumble, we think that God is done with us. We think that he's taken us off the team, that we're not worthy enough to be on mission. Listen, you were never worthy, never. We can't possibly measure up to God's holy standard. He gives us righteousness that we need in order to be in his presence and then he lavishly makes his presence available to us as his people. We're supposed to run to him when we have our brokenness, when we have our sin. When we have our shortcomings, we're supposed to run to him. He's the safe place, he's the parent. He's the one who's chasing us, pursuing us, welcoming us in, saying hurry, come, I want to spend time with you. But we pretend like he's not doing that. We pretend like we make up our own definition of who God is. Are we gonna believe ourselves and our own man-made version of God? Are we gonna believe the God who reveals himself through scripture, the God who spoke by his son? Here he is, he's speaking to us. Have we been faltering from mission because we don't feel right? Do we care about mission? And I'll get into that in a little bit. I think Christ is calling us to a deeper level of imitation. We are to be imitators of Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verse six, this is what it says. It says, the one who says he remains in him should walk as Jesus walked. The one who says he remains in him, the one who's experienced the presence of God, the one who has been indwelt with God's Holy Spirit the comforter that Jesus said he would send after he ascended into heaven to sit, to sit at the right hand of the Father in order to guide us and lead us and remind us of the things that he said. Those that have been in God's presence are to walk as Jesus walked. We are to imitate him. How can we imitate him in this example, with this particular model that Christ has lived out for us in the way that he approached Zacchaeus. He's calling us to be somebody that invites sinners in to our own lives, people that aren't necessarily like us. Listen, in Flatbush, I can imagine the 50 to 60 year old West Indian ladies that are gonna come walking through those doors. Are we going to invite them over? Are we gonna bring them into community with us? We do community very strongly here. I love that about our church. Are we going to continue to do that when the demographic is a little different? When the neighborhood is a little bit less ritzy? When we don't have the nice bars and yayos to cool down and the, the Barclay Center to gaze at and um, Shake Shack to go to after church? Is it gonna be a little different in our hearts? With that dude that's on the block, possibly selling things that are illegal. We don't know. (laughs) We might know. (laughs) I don't wanna assume. But there have been people. As I walk down Flatbush Ave, I'm like, what are you doing standing in front of this door right now? (laughs) Are we gonna invite them in? Are we gonna put our names on the line like Christ did when he did, when he hung out with Zacchaeus. When people were like, this guy is hanging out with a sinful man. Are we willing to risk our names and possibly look uncool or possibly receive ridicule from our peers because of the people that we hang out with and are spending our time with? Listen, nothing communicates care. Nothing communicates love. You can't walk through life with somebody that you don't spend time with. Presence is powerful. Is this going to be easy? No. But it's going to take God's supernatural ability, God's supernatural equipping of his people, And I like that spot. I like being in that place because it makes us dependent on God and not our own ideas, not our own knowledge, not our own coolness. When God calls us to do something like move to Flatbush and interact with the people there and draw the people in and spend time with the people there, he's doing that because he wants us to draw near to himself first. It's an opportunity for us to even in a deeper sense, experience God's presence as we fall at his feet and say, Lord, we we need you. We need you. We love you, we need you, thank you for transforming us. Now, because you are our Lord, we're going to go out and bring restoration to this community. Would you help us? Would you help us accomplish the work that you want to accomplish on this earth as your people? it makes us more reliant upon him. I I like being in that position. Even moving back to Brooklyn, moving back home to New York from Maryland, was an act of God. And I'm telling you, my faith amplified. Amplified, God is still providing for us and my family. It's dope, it's amazing. God is calling all of us as a church to do that. And listen, there is nothing, when we talk about imitating Christ and inviting people into our midst and spending intimate time with them. There is nothing that deconstructs the wrong myths about Christianity and reconstructs what biblical Christianity is in the minds of those that are lost like presence, like spending time with them. There's nothing that deconstructs that myth that Christians are homophobic. There's nothing that deconstructs the myth that we think that we're perfect. There's nothing that deconstructs the myth that we think that we're better than other people. Than you spending time with somebody that believes in that way about us. Let's be imitators of Christ. Let's be people that are intentionally pursuing the lost, seeking and saving the lost, just like our Lord did, and does. He is seeking us. He calls us to be on mission, let's be in his presence so that we can be healed in order to be on mission. Let's do that. It's such a critical time in the life of this church to do so. So what about the people, let's say up until this point, you haven't had that desire. You are one of two people. Either you just don't have the spirit of God in you. You might have been playing the part. You might have been coming to church. You might believe some things about Jesus, but you haven't been transformed yet. You haven't had that Zacchaeus experience yet where you are on God's mission pursuing justice, pursuing kingdom renewal in the community. God just hasn't woken you up to that. Or you can be somebody who is struggling in sin, struggling with shame and with guilt, and allowing that to think something differently about God, to to redefine God for your own pity party purposes. The solution is his presence. It's as simple as that. The solution is to make those appointments with the Lord and be in awe of him. To open up his word, to learn his nature and his character. To allow the Lord to define himself, not depend on your own definition of who God is. And then receive, receive, receive him. He is calling and waiting. He's not off in the distance with his back turned, waiting for us to shout loud enough to get his attention. That's not God. He's not like waiting for us to throw some stones and get his attention like, hey, I'm over here. Don't you see me? I'm over here. No, he's waiting for us to turn around and see his open arms. He's waiting for us to receive. He's not wanting you to come tired and exhausted with your list of good deeds. Uh, okay oh God I I did I was I was out There was one there wasn't even one night for myself every night of the week I was serving you I was I was on the worship team and I was on the prayer team and I was on the, the 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 team in Flatbush and I was in this Bible study and that Bible study I went to three city groups this week and yo am I good now am I good am I good that's not God you're talking to somebody else at that point God is waiting for you to come to him and just receive. Zacchaeus received him joyfully and was transformed with no record of Jesus bringing up his sin. But Zacchaeus was radically transformed and was automatically on God's mission and was declared a son of Abraham. That is what the Lord wants from us today. So if you're in one of those two groups, we're gonna have a time of response soon and I pray that the Lord just settle that in your hearts. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God, make us alive to the truth in this passage. Lord, so often we fall off because We try to redefine you in our own terms, Lord God. We try to say that this is how you're going to respond when there really lies. God, thank you that you are willing and ready to receive even the worst of us, God. By your amazing grace, you bless us beyond comprehension. You don't treat us according to what our sins deserve. But Father, you treat us as people that you are pursuing. You give us sweet embrace and opportunity by the blood of your Son in order for us to experience your presence and be powerfully transformed. Thank you God for that amazing gift and your amazing grace. Father, burn that into our souls, help us to grow, Father, we are expectant of you for what you're doing in Flatbush, and we thank you for putting us on mission. Thank you for those of us in your body, in Bridge Church and outside of Bridge Church that have been faithfully serving in that community, and we praise you that you're sending us there to join in that great work, God. Equip us, unleash us, set us free, to be on mission for you, like you did Zacchaeus. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using bridgechurchnyc, or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.